If you enjoy the harrowing of Minerva Damson and want to join the Order of Joan in their fight against the monsters stalking the trenches, there are several ways you can support the war effort. Find us on Patreon and enlist, or donate to the Order on Acast. You can also connect with Order Headquarters via Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. Links can be found in our bio. The Harrowing of Minerva Damson is a horror podcast and contains descriptions of war that some may find graphic or disturbing. Listener discretion is advised. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. This episode contains graphic depictions of violence that some may find disturbing. Listener discretion is strongly advised. Content warnings have been included in the episode description should you wish to consult them before listening. Now, on to the episode. As Cornelia's adrenaline rush faded, her sword arm began to ache and throb, and her muscles began stiffening from the rough ride. Slowly, she bent down to the saddlebags and retrieved her flashlight shining it first on her dear traveling companion. Oh, Willa. The mare's breathing was beginning to even, but she was wet with sweat, her sides lathered and streaked with scratches, her lips foamy, and her muzzle was striped with raw, angry marks where the halter had rubbed away her hair. Come on, poor girl, Cornelia said, taking the cut length of lead still dangling from her halter. She'd have to walk the mare out to dry her sweat before she could take care of their combined injuries. Otherwise, the cold would finish what the unicorn had started. Once she had walked Willa long enough, Cornelia pulled up a handful of grass and gently brushed her sides, soothing her and clearing away the debris of the ride. None of the cuts were too deep, thankfully, or too dirty. With Willa tended to, she examined the saddlebags and her own injuries. The leather of the saddlebags was deeply scored, and her coat was torn and tattered all along its back and sleeves. Her left sleeve was the worst, shredded from where Willa had spun and knocked her up against a tree. The top of her glove was ripped, and beneath it, Cornelia's knuckles were exposed, bloody, and sickeningly swollen. She didn't even try to flex them. They were painful enough. Stock taken, she crouched by the stream and began washing the blood away from her knuckles and eye. The water was bracing cold. It burned her skin with its chill before numbing it completely. The stream carried away her blood and revealed more torn skin and deep bruising across her knuckles. 
It was only once she was done dressing her hand in gauze and settled against a nearby tree that she stopped to truly think about her situation. She didn't know which direction Rosamond and Brom had gone, or whether they'd even survived their encounter with the unicorn. Rosamond knew this landscape far better than Cornelia did, and without her experienced guidance, Cornelia's mission would take longer, or even fail entirely. Fortunately, Cornelia knew their next heading, Lucialee, an ancient fort located on a hill near the River Ort. She would head that way at first light, and wait for Rosamond there. They had planned to rest there a day anyway, and she would wait just as long before heading out on her own. She knew the other landmarks she should follow in theory, but if all else failed, Rosamond had instructed her to head west until she met the Muse. She could follow it north to the Netherlands, or petition for help at an order outpost along the way. That, however, was not a desirable option, as she would be heading straight into a very well-populated corridor of Europe, which would further risk her precious cargo. She rested fitfully, buffeted between waves of weariness and alertness, unhelped by the damp chill of the night and the increasing soreness of her arm. Beside her, Willa seemed likewise restless. She would doze off, only to shiver awake and listen intently to the forest, and grazed very little throughout the night. As soon as the first light began pushing back the stars, Cornelia was up fashioning an improvised set of reins from the length of rope in her saddlebags. After some fussing and adjustment, Cornelia mounted and guided Willa uphill. It took a while to find a good break in the trees. At least the light was good by the time they did, and Cornelia spotted the red and gray smear of the village La Roche-en-Ardenne and its surrounding fields cleared from the blanket of the forest. From there, she scanned east. She grimaced. They had gone south, throwing them off course by at least a mile. That distance was a minor setback as the crow flew, but it still represented a notable loss of time in these hills. While she had a general sense of the location of Lucialee, all the hills in the distance looked the same to her. She knew it was nestled in a pronounced curve of the river, but the ort had many. If she reached the point that the river turned south and widened, she would know she had gone too far. Beyond that, she was on her own. She picked a heading and began the day's ride. Cornelia was used to long-distance treks. Willa was, too, for that matter. But riding bareback over rolling terrain was a different experience. Without a saddle and its stirrups, much of Cornelia's energy went into maintaining her seat on Willa's back. By afternoon, they had long since reached the Ort, and Cornelia still hadn't found which hill harbored Lucialee. Being so close to the river was making her twitchy. People lived and moved along waterways, and she didn't want to be seen, especially in her condition. Any fisherman that caught sight of her would surely remember her and comment upon it later at their local bar. As the sun continued its sink westward and the deep ache in her arm persisted, she swore. Where in God's name is this place? She huffed, dismounting. She fumbled crossly with the clasps on the saddlebags, which she had draped over Willa's withers in front of her, and dug out a hard biscuit. The trees were thick along the river, their leaves strikingly vibrant shades of red and orange. Any other day, and she would have marveled at their splendor. 
Today, they presented a frustrating obstacle, blocking her view of the greater contours of the terrain. She was halfway through her biscuit when she heard a soft snort behind her. Cornelia whirled, sure she had been discovered. And there, standing on the riverbank behind her, stood the bay horse she had seen the evening before. It watched her, ears pricked and eyes attentive. Willow wickered a response, more alert and lively than she'd been all day. Hello again, Cornelia said softly, taking a cautious step forward. Where did you come from this time? Slowly, she made her way toward the stallion. After a moment, it stepped toward her too. They met in the middle, the stallion pressing its velvety nose into her palm before allowing her to run her hand along its neck. My, but you're a fine boy, she whispered, absently stroking his glossy hide as she fed him the rest of her biscuit. Have you been following us? He snorted. I see, Cornelia said. Well, I'm sure it didn't escape your notice, but we're terribly lost. The stallion tossed his head. Cornelia barked out a laugh, (laughs) then sighed. She scanned the rolling hills surrounding them and the river's twisting course. Might be best to continue her search on the other side, but she had yet to find a good place to cross. (laughs) I don't suppose you know how to get to this Lushley place, do you? He nibbled at her hand seeking another treat. She let him search her while she thought. It might be good to have an additional horse at hand. Maybe she could trade off riding him and Willa. But she had used her only rope to make Willa's reins, and she couldn't think of any other way to capture him. Sighing, she gave the stallion's neck one more pat. You're a beaut, but we really must be going now. She made her way back to Willa and pulled herself up onto her back. At first, Cornelia was delighted when she heard the stallion following them. She was less pleased when he trotted around behind Willa and nipped at her flanks. Hey! She turned to shoo him away and almost lost her seat when Willa kicked at him. The stallion, unperturbed, shuffled closer, his ears flat against his head, and bit Willa harder. Willa lashed out again and began trotting away, looking very cross herself. He followed, snorting, snapping, and bumping into them. Cornelia swatted at him and kicked Willa up to a canter, but they couldn't get away. He easily caught up and cut them off, using his superior size and weight to push them back. He darted in for another bite. Willa let out a squeal and Cornelia an outraged shout as she grabbed the bags to keep them from slipping from Willa's withers. Hey, that's enough of that, mister. She maneuvered Willa around and flicked her lead at him as they darted past, but to no avail. The stallion caught up and nothing Cornelia did could dissuade him from his pursuit. He was hurting them, she realized, and after 15 futile minutes of trying to slip away, she let him. There was nothing to be done for it at present. He was too large and too fast to escape, especially out on this open riverbank. She would simply have to watch for a better opportunity and hope that he didn't push them too off course in the meantime. The stallion drove them upriver, and for a minute Cornelia feared he was taking them to La Roche-en-Ardenne, where he might have a master. But then he pushed them across a slow, shallow stretch of the river, the horse's hooves churning up its icy waters as they went. Upon reaching the other side, the bay turned them all east again, taking them once more away from civilization. 
As the sun sank lower and the shadows lengthened, a distant memory floated to the forefront of Cornelia's mind, a story her mother had once told her when she was sick in bed with scarlet fever and desperate for distraction. It hadn't been her favorite, yet she recalled it now as the stallion changed course and began threading them through the brilliant autumnal trees. Once upon a time, there was a duke, her mother had begun, pressing a wet cloth to Cornelia's feverish forehead. He had four sons who all grew up to be strong, handsome knights. The greatest of his sons was Renard, and he rode a magical horse named Bayard. Of course, Cornelia had been most interested in the magic horse, which her mother explained could change his size to carry all four brothers on his back and could understand their directions perfectly. He was strong and fast and brave, the best horse any knight could ever dream of having. Cornelia had repeated the same story to Nora one night, while her daughter was gravely ill. What happened to Bayard? Nora had asked, halfway through Cornelia's retelling of the exploits of Renaud in the Holy Land, none of which included the horse. It was the same question Cornelia had asked her own mother once upon a time. To punish the knights for their earlier trespasses against him, Charlemagne had a stone tied around Bayard's neck and had him thrown into the river to drown. But Bayard was too strong to be killed so easily. He broke the stone with his powerful hooves and escaped to live in the forest forevermore. Cornelia wasn't sure if that was the actual ending to the story or whether her mother had changed it, knowing how it would have upset young Cornelia to hear the magical horse had been killed after all his adventures with his chivalrous master. Looking into Nora's eyes that night, she couldn't fault her mother if she had seen fit to adjust Bayard's fate. Cheating death was a much better ending for a fairy tale. Now, as she eyed the bay stallion driving them up a forested hill, she wondered. <laughs> no, it was a silly thought. She knew through her education from the Order that many legends could hold more than a kernel of truth, but just as many were purely fictitious. Sometimes a story was simply a story. Abruptly, the stallion stopped. Willa kept trotting forward, eager to lose the pest. Sensing her chance, Cornelia spurred Willa up to a gallop, half expecting the giant bay to give chase again. But he did not. They surged through the trees, unchecked. Cornelia finally glanced behind them. The stallion was nowhere in sight. Up ahead, though, she spied a clearing at the crest of the hill, a wattle fence atop an embankment, and another shape. Brom! The horse was hobbled, grazing in the field. He looked up at them just before they burst from the trees and wickered his excitement. They had found Lucia Lee. Rosamond was not far from Brom and was already shushing him when she spied Cornelia. The stoic line of her mouth finally broke into a large grin. Well then, you found your way after all. Cornelia smiled back. She dismounted, started to tell Rosamond about the stallion, but stopped short when she saw the dressing around her partner's right thigh and the tall stick she was using for support. Ah, that. Rosamond sighed. It's only a gash, not through and through. A token of the unicorn's displeasure. And its mercy. That was not the worst it could have done. Cornelia shivered. However frightening her flight through the woods had been, Rosamond's had been far worse with that monster chasing her. 
Do you think it will leave us alone now? Rosamond winced as she shifted her weight. God willing, it will, but I couldn't say for certain. We cannot rest here tomorrow. We must keep moving until we leave the Ardennes. Cornelia stared at Rosamond, stunned. But you're injured. As are you, she observed. And the horses are tired. It makes little difference. We cannot tarry. We don't know how vast the unicorn's range is, except that it is likely confined to the Ardennes. Once we're beyond them, we will rest if we can. No matter the circumstances, we still have a package to deliver. It was the last thing Cornelia wanted to hear, but it didn't matter what she wanted. It was true, and she would just have to find the strength to get through the next few days. <sighs> Let's get a fire going, then. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. They ate and redressed their wounds. And as dusk faded into night... Cornelia settled in for first watch. Here, in the cleared ground within the ruins of an ancient fortification, the starlight fell cold across the dead grass and dying trees, washing away the golden landscape of the day to usher in the silver monochrome of night. Cornelia huddled close to the fire, Rosamond's sword, which they now had to share, close at hand. Be careful, Rosamond said before bedding down. It is said that Lucia is the home of mischievous elves. There was a slight curl to her lips as she said it, but Cornelia couldn't quite tell if she was teasing or not, mostly because she had never heard her crack a joke before. By the time she had decided to ask, Rosamond was already asleep. By God, Cornelia was tired. Tired and hungry and sore. She'd experienced all three before in journeys past, but they were never pleasant especially when they all came packaged together. 
as the cloak of the night's chill settled over her shoulders and the warm glow of the campfire blanketed her front, Cornelia's eyelids began to flutter closed, no matter how she struggled to hold them open. Es ist Zeit. Cornelia jerked awake, disoriented. A voice. She'd heard a voice. She scanned the clearing, the trees beyond, her heart thumping uncomfortably in her chest. Nothing seemed immediately out of place. Perhaps she had dreamt. But no. There was that feeling again. The one that had been dogging her since they first entered the Ardennes. That sense of a hand hovering just over her shoulder, almost touching her. That instinct that told her in no uncertain terms that she was being watched. And the unnatural silence had returned. She stood, sword ready. Who's there? Rosamond startled awake at the sound of her voice, but froze again when an answering <laughs> chuckle rose from the edge of the trees. It was the same one Cornelia had heard the night before, yet she'd forgotten all about it after the unicorn appeared, and she didn't think unicorns could laugh. What could it be then? Soldiers? Elves? Surely not elves, but they had just seen a unicorn for God's sakes. But what entered the starlight was neither of those things. They looked like hikers, were dressed like them, but nobody would be hiking in the Ardennes so close to German lines during a time like this. Never mind that it was nighttime, and their breath did not cloud in the cold air. The first was a woman. She smiled, her sharp teeth bright under the silver starlight. I smell blood, she said. I see you did not fare well with the unicorn either, though you did better than us. As quietly as she could, Rosemond started crawling toward Willa and Brom, both hobbled nearby and snorting anxiously now that the threat had revealed itself. The vampires were on the cleared ground below Lucille's ancient berm, and a decent ways away, but they could cross that distance in no time, and their hearing was acute. What are you doing here, vampire? Cornelia asked, hoping her voice would help cover Rosemond's movements. The vampires stepped forward, walking casually closer, two men trailing the woman. You have something our master wants. Give it to us, and we will kill you quickly. And, as a further kindness, we will let your precious ponies live too. We know how you couriers care for them. Rosamond had managed to release Brom from his hobbles and was making her way to Willa. Your master is violating the agreed-upon terms of war. Night couriers are not to be hindered, harassed, or prevented from carrying out our duties in any way. The vampress laughed. <laughs> we both know that makes little difference, and that even if it did, we have little choice. Our master commands it, and he grows impatient. If not for that foul beast keeping us at bay, we would have killed you days ago. But we have drawn it away for tonight, so we should not be interrupted. They were advancing still with the kind of unhurried swagger that spoke of assured success. And, sickeningly, Cornelia was afraid they were right. She and Rosamond were tired, injured, and only had one sword between them. Three vampires would be a challenge under the best of circumstances. Now? 
their best chance was the horses. Vampires were almost, but not quite, as fast as a fleet horse. Even so, horses could only run flat out for so long. Vampires didn't need to breathe, didn't have hearts that could burst, and thus had no such limitations. They could wear a horse down over a long enough distance. Willa and Brom were already nearly spent from the night before, and shouldn't be asked to run so hard again so soon. Having released Willa, Rosamond pushed herself to her feet with her walking stick. Their eyes met. Rosamond's gaze flicked to Willa. The message to Cornelia was clear. Get on and get going. Rosamond knew the way to the border best, but Cornelia had the real package secreted away in her coat pocket. They didn't have time to argue. To the vampiress, Rosamond spat, Quit your gabbing. It's not like vampires to flap their gums. The vampiress's smile sharpened. You are correct. It is not. In a flash, a fourth vampire appeared from the east, springing out of the darkness onto Willa's back. It tried to sink its teeth into her muscular neck, but she flung it off with a shriek. No sooner had it hit the ground did Brom rear up over it and smash his hooves into the vampire's prone body, just as he was trained to do. But the distraction had been more than adequate. Cornelia immediately slashed a reaching hand from the first vampire that came for her and leapt back, trying to make her way to one of the horses. Rosamond expertly swept her walking stick low and tripped another vampire. Before it could recover, she jammed the end of the stick through its chest, killing it instantly. Then the vampiress appeared, and before Rosamond could pull her stick free, she had clamped a hand around her wrist and broken it with an easy twist. Rosamond cried out, her injured leg buckling, but even as she sagged, she ducked forward and bit the vampiress's hand with all her strength. Cornelia only caught this series of events in bits. She was locked in a battle with the vampire that had already attacked her. He had to be more careful with her. She had the sword. Already she had given him a few nasty gashes that glistened black in the starlight, but no blood ran from them. Under the bandages on Cornelia's arm, however, she knew her clots had opened and her wounds were seeping. The sword trembled in her weakened grip. A hair-raising scream briefly distracted her, and in that instant, she was pulled off the ground. The vampire pinned her sword hand beneath his knee, painfully grinding her wrist into the dead grass, and her fingers released her weapon reflexively. Then he was grabbing her jaw with his one remaining hand and forcing her head back, back so she could see what... The vampiress was twisting Rosamond's arm, already bent at an unnatural angle and smiling serenely at the agonized screams the night made, so long and loud that Rosamond could hardly breathe. Then, with one more effortless twist, she pulled Rosamond's arm from her body. Cornelia closed her eyes, bile instantly swarming up her throat and burning her mouth. The vampire that held her jaw dug his nails into her skin, bruising and cutting, and with a gasp she opened her eyes again. Rosamond had mercifully passed out, and Cornelia knew she would never wake up. Her life was rushing out of her as the vampress ran her hand through the throbbing fountain gushing from her body. Pay attention, she said to Cornelia, and licked her blood-slick fingers. This is the fate that awaits you if you do not tell me where the package is. Cornelia watched in horror as she leaned down and ripped Rosamond's other arm from her body as easily as she might pull the wings from a fly. A pointlessly cruel gesture. 
I can make it so it lasts longer, too. You will be awake to feel it all. Save yourself the pain, Fräulein, and tell me what I want to know. She laved her tongue across the exposed bone of Rosamond's other arm before tossing it casually aside. Then she started toward Cornelia. Panic surged through Cornelia's limbs, and she struggled beneath the vampire pinning her to the ground. What could she do? Maybe she could regain control of her sword arm, but that was a long shot. She had a dagger clipped to her belt. The vampire hadn't noticed it yet, or perhaps didn't care. He hadn't bothered to pin her other hand. She had fallen at an awkward angle, and it had been trapped beneath her own body in the ground. She felt she could free it now, but if she was going to draw her dagger, she would have to pick the ideal time. That meant enduring some pain first. Well, she had endured the pain of bringing a child into the world and the pain of watching that child leave too soon. If she had survived those, she could survive this. The vampress kicked the sword out of easy reach. The vampire above her lifted his knee as the vampress bent down and took hold of Cornelia's wrist. Cornelia flinched as spikes of pain traveled up her arm. This arm is barely any use anyway, hmm? The vampress loomed over her, her mouth smeared with Rosamond's blood, her teeth red with it. Where is the package? Cornelia set her jaw and glared up at the vampiress. She smiled back and gave Cornelia's arm an experimental tug. A burst of bright pain followed, and Cornelia couldn't hold back a shriek. That was a little demonstration. The next will be worse. You can prevent this, though. You can tell me where the package is. As soon as you do, I will tell Frederick he may kill you, and he will do it quite quickly. He is hungry, you see. Tears flooded Cornelia's eyes, her nose stinging with the promise of more to come. (sighs) Go to hell. This time, the vampress added a twist. (coughs) The pain leapt beyond Cornelia's arm and arced down her back to the base of her spine. Where is the package? Not yet. Not yet. Panting, Cornelia shook her head. Very well. The next twist ended on a pop, and Cornelia's scream broke into a thin stream of sobs. Her arm muscles wrenched at her bones, now out of alignment with her shoulder socket. It won't be long before it tears free. First, the muscles and arteries on the inside will shred, and then I will pull it all the way off. Are you ready to tell me? This would be her best chance and she may have already overestimated her ability and misjudged her timing. The desperation flooding her system would soon crumble before her pain if she waited any longer. It had to be now. Choking on her tears, she glanced toward the saddlebags. The vampress nodded and released her arm. Cornelia yelped as it thudded to the ground, still out of joint. The vampress ignored Cornelia's cry and drifted towards the bags to begin searching through them. The vampire holding Cornelia, Frederick, the vampress had called him, watched his compatriot. Carefully, Cornelia eased her working hand toward her dagger. Her breaths came in shuddering waves, and her whole body twitched and jerked with spasms of pain. She hoped that would be enough to cover the intention of her movement. 
The vampress pulled the false package free from the saddlebags and gave it an experimental sniff. Is this dust? The vampress shrugged. Es riecht wie magie. Cornelius' fingers brushed the hilt. Stefan, bring das zu Meister. Wir werden hier aufräumen. Cornelia gripped the dagger handle, her heart hammering. Another vampire appeared, shambling toward the vampress, and she handed him the package. It was the one Brahm had trampled, Cornelia realized. Another vampire, damaged but not dead. He could be a problem. But she didn't have time to linger on that. With a grunt, she pulled the dagger free and immediately buried it in the back of Frederick's neck, the magic blade cutting easily through bone and severing his spinal column. Not a guaranteed kill without taking his whole head, but it would be enough to take him out of action for a minute, and that was all Cornelia needed. The vampress turned toward her, surprise on her blood-stained face. Cornelia had already kicked Frederick away and rolled to her up, the pain on her dislocated arm almost blinding her. But with the speed of reflex, she lined up her shot and threw the dagger. Her aim was off. She wasn't throwing with her dominant hand. It sank into the vampress's chest, too low to kill her, but close enough to make her hesitate. Cornelia lunged for her sword, got her fingers around the hilt, and was brought to her knees by an explosion of pain. Vampires were fast, even when they hesitated. The vampress held her dislocated arm in a vice-like grip. Oh! You are a fighter. Very brave, yeah? Her voice hissed against Cornelia's ear. Very brave and very foolish. This was the end. Cornelia prayed that when she was dead, they didn't bother searching her body, and that someone else would stumble upon her, discover the real package, and send it on its way. Or bury her with it, safe and sound beneath a blanket of earth until the Order found her again. The vampress's grip tightened on her wrist, and then stopped. When Cornelia managed to look up, the vampress was no longer focused on her. She was staring at the tree line, and there was fear lighting her eyes. In an instant, she had dropped Cornelia's arm and was running away. A rumble rolled along the ground, and a moment later, the unicorn burst over the burn and charged after the vampress. Cornelia shied back, terror gripping her as well. But when she tried to make her legs move, they refused. They felt like sandbags, heavy and boneless. The unicorn flashed past her in pursuit of Vampiris. For all her preternatural speed, it caught up to her easily. It bore her down, gored her through with its horn, and wheeled around to chase the vampire with the package, who was also trying to make a desperate escape despite being even less capable than his companion. Trembling, Cornelia watched one monster slay the other and begin grinding into paste under its cloven hooves. And then, without warning, she was jerked onto her back by a large hand. Frederick glared down at her, his sharp canines flashing above her eyes. He had recovered faster than she had predicted, or she had been watching the unicorn longer than she had thought. Du kleine Schlampe! Cornelia released a thready scream, her anguish more than a match for his anger. No matter how clumsy the motion, she forced her arm to move. The blade scored a deep slash in his shoulder, and he released her. She threw herself forward, away from him, before turning to face him, just in time to see the unicorn thunder up behind him, its own sharp fangs bared. 
before he could react, it sank its teeth into his skull and lifted him from the ground, shaking him like a fox would a hen. He had long gone limp before the unicorn tossed his body to the side and turned its baleful gaze on Cornelia. She stared at it, her vision strange and stuttering. I'm losing consciousness, she realized. She'd hit her limit, and now she was done. Well, that was all right. If she was going to go, she thought, as the unicorn slowly advanced toward her, its head down, the sharp tip of its horn glistening with blood. This, at least, was better than being torn asunder by vampires. And Nora. She could tell Nora. A wave of black struck her. When she came back to herself, the unicorn stood over her, its massive hooves less than a yard in front of her. It lowered its gore-slick muzzle until it was level with her collarbone, the unicorn's dark eyes even with hers, its alicorn hovering just above her head. It sniffed her, its breath gusting hot against her skin and smelling strongly of iron and salt. Its tongue came out from between its teeth, and the unicorn licked her neck, dragging the necklace up from beneath her tattered coat collar, the tags and her daughter's charm jingling against each other. Another blast of its potent breath hit her face. That was when she passed out entirely. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. The harrowing of Minerva Damson and its related stories are written, narrated, and produced by Jessica Linkhart and features additional voice work by Miranda Lewis, Claire Miller, and Jamie Sykes. Art assets done in collaboration with Mitch Lewis. Thank you for listening. Our tale will continue next week. <laughs>